Thank you, um, kids. They've already stepped out. Maybe they'll be back in. But um, wasn't that just wonderful? It's a wonderful blessing to hear from children and to be reminded of the the true meaning of Christmas. We've been looking at for the past um, several weeks the gift of of Christmas, and we looked at the giver. We looked at the the promise of the gift. We looked at the reason for the gift, and the one that the Lord Jesus came for the recipients, which are, of course, you and I and everyone that has ever lived. And this morning, in the, in the time that we have, and thanks to the children, I have a lot of time, um, so um, I can take time to breathe, and um, no, but hopefully we'll be finished earlier. We're going to look at the gift itself. We're going to look at the glory of the gift. We come to Christmas, and the focus so many times can get skewed into so many different directions. It's, it's when can we get together with family? What are we going to eat? And what in the world am I going to get, you know, Uncle Bob for Christmas because he's got everything he needs? Um, and we have all those questions and we sometimes, if we're not careful, we crowd worship and praise of the Lord Jesus out of, of Christmas. And so this morning it's plain, it's simple. We're going to look at the fact that Christmas celebrates Jesus and he's God's greatest gift. If you want to join me, I'm going to be reading, first of all, from Matthew chapter 1. After 400 years of, of silence, the prophet Malachi speaking the last words, ending with a, a message of, of hope. There begins this story of God working, of God awakening again, of God speaking to his people, of bringing this, this first John the Baptist and then the Lord Jesus, And we read in this gospel account from Matthew after he tells us of the lineage of, of Jesus. We find in verse 18 that he begins to describe this birth scene. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fret, fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Father, this morning we gather in your name and your presence, celebrating the name of Jesus. Led in worship by our our children with glad and grateful hearts, with honest expressions of gratitude toward you, Lord. We pray you would turn our hearts toward you. And in these times, these minutes that we have to look at the name of the Lord Jesus. Father, I pray you would warm our heart from within with the glow of your love. You would shine your presence on us, that you would fill us with the wonder and the joy of the love that you have for us that was most lovingly expressed by the sacrifice of your son on the cross. So, Lord, we look back and we know that it began in a manger long ago, a baby born to be a king, to be a savior, to be a redeemer. 
to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so in the time that we pause this morning, help us to lift high the name of Jesus. And we trust you to help us to do that. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So these angel instructions to to Joseph, give him the name Jesus. Because he'll save his people from their sins. You see, the the name Jesus was a common name in the the first century. It was a common name back in the Old Testament. It would have been just like naming someone John. Today, there were all these men named Joseph, named Joshua. And I'm going to get a drink. This may be shorter than y'all anticipated. They gave them the name Joshua or Yeshua, meaning the Lord saves. And every child with that name would remind God's people of God's promise to, to send someone to save his people. And when at just the right time came, Jesus was born, given the name that was above every name, born to Mary to be Savior of the world. And we sing in that wonderful song, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in Thee. This long-expected, long-waited-for Savior, Jesus, who was promised, was proclaimed, and now was present in the flesh, in the world, for all men. And we see Joseph's obedience that they, given the instructions, he follows through and he gives them the name, gives him the name, Jesus But Matthew goes on and records that this Jesus was also the one that Isaiah told would be Emmanuel. See, God spoke all along through his prophets like Isaiah that there was a rescuer coming, a hero was coming, a savior, a son would be born, a child would be given. The government would be on his shoulders and he would be the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. And at that moment in history, God came near to be present with men. Emmanuel, God with us, God with me, God with you, perfectly present. The creator of all would become physically close to his creation, would be fully God and fully man. It's the wonder of wonders that we can't understand. But we know that when Jesus walked on earth, he was the very representation and the likeness of God. But also in a real human body he lived a perfect life he came to take away the sins of the world and john in first john writes this you know that he jesus appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin so this sinless savior came to take away sins and when we call jesus emmanuel it fills us with hope and joy because we're reminded that god loves us that jesus came for us Masterful songwriter Michael Card many years ago wrote the song, Emmanuel, our God is with us. And if God is with us, who can stand against us? Our God is with us, Emmanuel. Wonderful words. But he's not only the one who came to be with us, he came to be the word. You see, Jesus is the word. John 1 tells us of that. Now we know words, we use them to speak, we use them to talk, we use them to communicate. If we're going to tell a story, it's hard to tell a story without words. And they use words to build languages. Jesus came to earth to communicate God's love. To tell God's story. 
Not on words, with a, with a page, on a page, with pen and ink. Not cold and lifeless, but Jesus came to be the living word. Personal, interactive, and alive. Listen to John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus is the word. The wisdom of God in the flesh. The very one who reveals the Father. Do you remember the story in John 14 where where Philip is talking to Jesus and, and Philip just says, Jesus, show us the Father. And Jesus lovingly responds, Philip, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. That's why the writer of Hebrews says he's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. In Colossians, Paul says that he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So again, we sing songs and we listen to songs like the one Michael Card wrote, The Word is Living, The Word is Light. The Word brings delights, my soul preserves my life. Holy and hidden, forever new, the perfect sacrifice, our Lord Jesus Christ. Kessler, a commentator, said when it comes to knowing God, Jesus is both the explainer and the explained. He's the revealer and the essence of what is being revealed. And we can't understand who God is without looking to Jesus. You can't know God personally apart from Jesus. And in Jesus alone, we find a vocabulary for understanding and expressing the nature and the very purpose of God. So Jesus, the word we find from that, those verses that he was present at creation with God. And so when God spoke, let there be light and there was light. He was there, but this one that was present came in the world to be the light of the world. See, in John 1, he continues, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The Old Testament would give us pictures of God's presence and use fire. He was the pillar of fire by night. He was a consuming fire and explained the nearness of his presence, the the lighting of the path, dispelling away the darkness. In the New Testament, we see that Jesus is the light. He's the light that overcomes the darkness. He's the timeless light that invaded time. And we can see it in the deepest darkness of all. Do you remember in John chapter 8 when Jesus spoke, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Have you thought about that? Those who follow Jesus will never walk in darkness. So you go to Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You know it's not a dark path, it's a lighted path because the presence of the Lord is with you. That when you have the presence of Jesus in your life, you're living in the light. Bliss and Sankey, just wonderful hymn writers from of old that wrote many songs that D.L. Moody sang during his campaigns, wrote this, The whole world was lost in the darkness of sin. The light of the world is Jesus. Like sunshine at noonday, his glory shone in. The light of the world is Jesus. And this light of the world was also the promised Messiah. Listen to what Isaiah wrote. 
Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. See, Jesus was also the Messiah, the anointed one. The one promised in the Old Testament, the one who was set apart for a special mission from the Father, was given blessing, authority, and honor from the Father to carry out this plan. And when you read your Bible and you see these phrases, Messiah, you see these phrases, Christ, both mean the same thing. They both mean the one that was anointed. Kings were anointed for service. Prophets were appointed and anointed. Priests were appointed and anointed. And Jesus was set apart by the Father for this mission. We get to the New Testament and that reference to Jesus and Messiah, I don't think it's an accident. It's referred to over 530 times. I think he's trying to make a point. That's why so many Jewish people come to faith in Christ when they simply read the New Testament. You see, in traditional Jewish society and very legalistic Jewish societies, it's it's forbidden for them to read the New Testament. But as they begin to read the New Testament, they realize that this Jesus that was promised in the Old Testament is the very Jesus that the New Testament speaks about. And people like our brother Zayev, who's been in our church, who works to share that good news with Jesus, are finding this on the streets of Tel Aviv and on the streets of Jerusalem, that as men and women become acquainted with Jesus as the Messiah, they're coming to salvation. Do you remember that great story in Caesarea Philippi? Matthew writes it about in, in chapter 16 when he asks them, you know, who do people say that I am? And they, they come up with all the great Sunday school answers. And then Jesus turns to him and says, but who, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter, the spokesman for the group, stands up and he professes this. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. A clear Profession revealed to him by the Father that this Jesus was not just a man, but he was the Messiah. In the trials leading up to his crucifixion, Jesus is carried before the high priest, before the Sanhedrin, and the high priest asks him, Are you the Christ? And Jesus answers, You have said so. Christ is born, Christ is born, ring the news on Christmas morn. Mary's son, Mary's son, come and laud him, everyone. Glory be to God on high, joyful angels make reply. Jesus is the Messiah sent on this special mission to save, to rescue, and to redeem. He's also the Redeemer. We sing, come now long expected Jesus We hear this purpose of Jesus' birth. Born thy people to deliver. Born a child and yet a king. Born to reign in us forever. Now thy gracious kingdom bring. Born to deliver his people from sin, both men and women, to buy back what was lost, to give his life as a payment to secure our freedom. That's why Jesus said in Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man came not to serve To be served, but to serve, and to give up his life as a ransom for many. Paul wrote to Titus, he reminded Titus that Jesus gave himself up for us to redeem us. And because of that, he's worthy above all to receive all glory and honor and praise for all eternity. We get to the last book of the Bible, we get to the book of Revelation. It paints this picture about those in the heavens singing a new song. Worthy are you to take up the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed 
people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. By your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and every language. People and nation. This God is not just a redeemer of Americans. It's not just a redeemer of Westerners, but He's a redeemer of those in the East, those in the North, those in the South, those that speak English, those that speak Spanish, those that speak French, those that speak Hindi, those that speak every language on every square inch of the planet of the earth. Jesus came to be the redeemer, but also to reign over a kingdom. Every kingdom has a king. We learn that from the very early times that we read those once upon a time stories about a a king and a kingdom and God's kingdom which stands way above every kingdom has a king that is above all kings he's the king of kings God's people the Jews longed for years for this king one who would come would be a descendant of David and who would reign on his throne he would be the greatest of all kings and he would have a reign that would never ever end we sing at Christmas hark the herald angels sing glory to who the newborn king that this baby born in the manger was the king of kings and he came at Christmas and we think about the kingdom of the king and we have to realize that the kingdom is in place it will never end it will never be shaken And if you are in Christ, you're in the kingdom. And the kingdom is here and the kingdom is now. And even though we don't see it in His full glory, one day God's kingdom will explode into full bloom. And one day the King of Kings, King Jesus, will return. It will be a physical return. It will be a visible return. And it will be an undeniable return. And Revelation records that on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. When Paul wrote to the Philippians, he gave us a glimpse of the greatness of this king and his authority. He says, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, the last thing you'll see there in your blanks is that Jesus is Lord. He's the master. He's the the king. He's the curios in the Greek. He's the Yahweh of the Old Testament, the great I Am. It's the most important title that we can have for God. He is Lord. R.C. Sproul points out that it points to the fact that Jesus is absolutely sovereign. He's majestic. He's divine. It's proof that He is the Son of God. And it's not just a light thing when we say Jesus is Lord. Now, it's easy for you and I to say, well, you know, Jesus is the reason for the season. Or it's easy for us to say, you know, Christmas is about Jesus. It may even be easy for us to say the name Jesus. Now, for some people, it's very difficult to say that. But for you to say Jesus is Lord. It packs a lot of of power 
Because when you do that, you acknowledge that He is God. That He's absolutely divine. When Peter speaks his sermon in Acts chapter 2, he says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now those that weren't pricked in their hearts by the conviction of the Holy Spirit were probably hollering blasphemy. Because to a Jewish person, that this man Jesus would be both Lord and Christ would be blasphemous. But when God worked in their hearts, that he, he pierced their hearts, He spoke to them, He convicted them by the Holy Spirit, then they were able to profess that He is Lord, He's God, and He is Christ. He is the Anointed One, the Messiah. So we acknowledge that He's God, but we also recognize His control of our lives in the whole world. Recognize that he's the boss. He's the one that gets to call all the shots. He's the one that says yes and no. And we're the ones that say yes, sir, and no, sir. It also is a phrase that we embrace the cost of following Jesus. Because to admit Jesus is Lord in your life means that you forsake all others. You won't follow anything else. You won't go after anything else. But you'll follow Jesus and Jesus alone. It's a pledge of allegiance. I owe no other master. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. It's submitting yourself to Jesus and saying, Jesus, it's all about you and you get to call the shots. But here's the good news. When you say all those things, you enter into the joy of Jesus that is a joy that the Bible says is unspeakable. Which means you can't explain it. It's hard to understand, but those that have it are so thankful for it. And when they share it, it's infectious over all the people that they are in contact with. The earliest confession of the early, the earliest confession of the church was simply this. Jesus is Lord. Polycarp, one of the early church fathers, went to a horrible death because he refused to say Caesar is Lord. He was an old man. He had been faithful to God for several years. And as they taunted him while he was in, in prison, they said, you know, Polycarp, we'll let you go. We'll let you go if you'll just say Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. Just say it. You know, you're old. You can live out your days. And he refused. Because he said, no, Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. And there's power in admitting that with your heart. It's power in saying that in your words. Because as Paul wrote in Romans, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. There's no other name under heaven and earth by which men can be saved but the name of Jesus. And oh, what a great day it is when we look and we see people in our, in our lives that we love and we care for. And we say, God, God, we need you to work. We need you to intervene. We need you to save this person. And we know that simply in faith, all they have to call out is, Jesus, you are Lord of my life. Lord of my life. And you'll save them. We sing, O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. And may it be at Christmas that those aren't just words of a song, but they're a testimony from the heart. Because Christmas celebrates Jesus. God's greatest gift. 
sent to save his people from their sins, to dwell among men as Emmanuel, to reveal his character and his nature as the living word, to shine the light of the glory of God as the light of the world and to fulfill his role as the Christ, the promised Messiah and the Redeemer and to rule over all things. One of the most famous songs we sing at Christmas was written by a great man of faith, a great hymn writer named Isaac Watts. He never really intended it to be a Christmas song, but that's really un, not really consequential at this point. But it's became the most popular Christmas song. And he begins, Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. And heaven and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. With fields and floods, rocks, hills and plains, repeat the sounding joy. Repeat the sounding joy. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings slow, far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove. The glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love and wonders of his love. My prayer for you is that your hearts would be filled with the wonders of the love of the living Lord Jesus this Christmas season. Will you pray with me? Father, we are grateful for your goodness to us. We're grateful for, as the songwriter wrote, the wonder of your love. How can it be that you love me? How could you be? How could it be that you love anyone? How could it be that you would give your life to save men and women who are so often ungrateful, that are always undeserving, but are in desperate need? Father, I pray you would help us this Christmas season. This Christmas is just a couple of days away. To lay aside the lights, the tinsel, the wrapping paper, the decorations, the food, and even the family. And we would lift our eyes to the heavens. We would see where our help comes from. Our help comes from the Lord. And you would grant us a glimpse of the living reigning Lord Jesus seated high and lifted up that we would have opportunity in our hearts and in our homes to worship him as king of kings and lord of lords that you would awaken the presence and the spirit of Christ in our hearts and that it would change us and transform us that it would shine in us the light of your glory and that it would send then you would send us out into a dark world to let your light shine among men. They would see your good works and would glorify you, our Father in heaven. Thank you for the gift of this day. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the simple message shared by the children. And most of all, thank you for Jesus, Emmanuel, Messiah, Redeemer, 
King of kings and Lord of lords. And we pray in His name. Amen. I'm going to sing a song. It's a time of invitation for you to respond. Maybe there was something that stuck out to you in the time when the children were sharing or maybe